0: But you know me by a different, much older name. A name perhaps you hoped you'd never hear again. I am
1: Dave. Dave
0: Dave 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 Dave. Dave!
1: Dave! Hello everybody. Dave! Thanks for listening to an open letter. And once again, this is Dave. And this is our podcast. It's a good thing you weren't listening earlier because we were having some it was recorded, but you're not gonna release any of that, are you, Chad? How much money you got. <laughs> not enough, I think, to uh, prevent All right. you from so You work in a bank, get yourself a loan. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't we don't do personal loans anymore. Okay. That's not how that works. Then you got a problem. I know, I've got lots of problems, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. So let me do what I normally do, which is introduce everybody. So as you've already heard, dear listeners, we have Chad Cashman here with us today. What's up? Which we like to call the Cashmeister. We have my lovely girlfriend, Carol. Hello. And then we have back again, the second consecutive week, Mr. Paul Weersma. Greetings. There it is. As you know, if you've listened for any amount of time... We always start the podcast off the same way, and that's with a little segment we like to call Off the Cuff. Cue the music, Maestro. Okay. So I got a couple questions for everybody here. First one is When you were a child and you got to go out to eat somewhere for your birthday, what's one of the places you really love to go? Give you a second to think about that. I'll answer first from a very young age, because when you're real little, it's like you want to go to McDonald's because it's like, I want to go to McDonald's because they have toys. Which, if your kid talked like that, you'd probably should get them help. But I would go to Red Lobster every time.
2: You were an expensive kid, weren't you?
1: Well, apparently, but that's where I wanted to go. Either that or Long John Silver's, because I—that's—that I, was my choice. Chad, did you have a, Where would you have gone?
2: Well, I kind of grew up a little bit on the poor side, so the Sweden House,
1: the Sweden House, the
2: Sweden House, the man. Smorgasbord. Right. Which is comparable now to the modern old country buffet. It is. Sweden House was ahead of it.
1: You should just, they should just put like a big trough there and let like people make people go and like bend over and eat like a horse.
2: <laughs> I have a funny Sweden House story if you want
1: one. Well, you know what? Why not?
2: Okay. So when I worked, because I worked there in high school.
1: I remember you telling me that.
2: Okay. There was a guy who looked like Albert Einstein. He's a World War II vet. His, hair, his white hair all sticking up and everything like that. His vehicle was a hearse. Oh. I mean, that was his car. It was a used hearse. The drive, party the wagon. He'd park it in front of the restaurant.
1: Oh, gosh.
2: <laughs> so, can, I can't imagine that was good for business. Heart we, Attack Central. Heart right. Attack Central
1: comes with its own set of defibrillators. I have a Saveden House story, too. So, a buddy of mine, Jeff, um, when we were teenagers weren't able to drive and pay for our own food. He always wanted to go to the Sweden house. And we're like, and this fu- the food at the Sweden house was not very good. It was okay. Hey, I was a cook there. So the food wasn't very good. But, <laughs> but the thing is with Jeff is we'd like, where do you want to go eat? And he'd be like, oh, let's go to the Sweden house. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, it's okay. You cooked there after we were going there. And so we'd be like, the food's there. I don't he's know like, about that. He's like, yeah, the food's pretty It's not The food's not great, but you can eat all you want. So you can eat all you want of the mediocre food, because at that stage, it was more about quantity than quality. Right. We couldn't afford the quality.
0: Has that changed?
1: What? Quality over quantity? Yeah. Are you... (laughs) (laughs) Carol's in a feisty mood today. Um, Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to cut down on the quantity.
0: I wasn't referring to just you.
1: Who are you referring to?
0: Are you saying I'm fat? (laughs) No. this is why I should be quiet today.
1: <laughs> She's a feisty one today. No, that's good. It's good. It spices up the podcast. We need your voice. All of you who like Carol listening or talking, all you listeners who like Carol talking, raise your hands. See all those people with their hands raised? No. Put your hands back on the wheel if you're driving. Yeah, I don't do it. Well, one hand. Anyway, that's my answer. So Sveden House is yours, and it was actually spelled, I'm saying it Sveden because it was spelled S-V-E-D-E-N. Right, because it was common
2: s- in European languages. As I'm sure Carol can Let's testify. Let's check with our
1: resident linguist. V's
2: were used as W's. W's
0: are pronounced as V's. Yeah, see what she
2: said.
1: That she's smarter than she knows. She knows she languages knows. and stuff.
2: I only knew that because I worked at the Sweden House.
1: All right, so Carol has. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna tangent off here. You, uh, uh, which we do real well. Carol, talk to me. What what about a hearse? You wrote a little note there.
0: When I was in high school, my youth group. Leader's car was a hearse, and we used to ride around in the back of it. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> I, what was it like in the back of the hearse? It was roomy. If you had to ride in the hearse and then go back in it, would that be called rehearsing? Oh, <laughs> oh
2: you're so funny. I have to get a rim shot sound effect.
1: You really do, because <laughs> we complete. You know, it. Anyways, I'm sure sorry. that
2: there's probably one somewhere.
1: Mr. Paul Weersma,
3: remember Damon's? Of the course, place for ribs. Yes, uh, yeah. that, was, that was that was probably the top choice. And then as I matured, uh, my when did that beds, happen? Um, I haven't seen that yet. I'm gonna ignore that. Uh, <laughs> no, we, we we focused more towards uh, going to what is it Mongolian barbecue. That was a uh, good one. That one's
2: gone now too, isn't it?
3: No, no, it's right next to a bunch of car dealerships on 28th Street.
2: Oh, I'm surprised that's still Grand
3: Rapids, huh? yeah.
1: Wasn't uh the Buffalo Wild Wings on uh forty fourth Street that used to be a Damon's.
2: Yep.
3: Uh, I'm not terribly yep, familiar with that side of town, but anyway, could very well be. But I we lived in
2: Ramblewood both recently and when it was Damon's.
1: Yeah, yeah. My oldest son, who's been on the podcast and the nerdcast, he like one of the best sticks he's ever had in his life was at a Damon's. Is that right? Yeah. Didn't you and I go to a Damon's when we were... I thought you and I went to a Damon's before, didn't we, Carol? No? I don't know.
0: That was your other girlfriend.
1: That was my other girlfriend? Oh, okay. I usually only have one at a time. I'm not good. I can't date more than one girl at a time. It never goes well.
0: I'm happy to hear that.
1: Yes, so am I. And so are all our listeners. All right, next. When was the last time that you laughed until you cried? I was at... The uh, place where I work with a co worker, Sonia, who we will have on the show. And we were looking at failed autocorrects and we were laughing until we cried because they're very, very, very goofy. It doesn't happen as much anymore, but you know, you get the autocorrect and you send the message. And sometimes in the old days, like in the early days of cell phone, like three years ago, sometimes it would autocorrect it and send it before you could even correct it. And they would just be like hilariously incorrect and and wrong. Oh, you know what? I didn't ask Carol the restaurant question. Carol, what's the answer to your restaurant question?
0: so glad you asked, because I don't have one. She doesn't like to pick favorites.
1: No, it's not a favorite. Didn't you guys go out to eat when you were
0: kids? Sometimes. I don't really remember any particular restaurant, though, but I'm from the Chicago area, so we had a lot to pick from. I don't remember ever going to the same place a lot, repeatedly. But I did always ask for an angel food cake for my birthday cake.
1: There you go. That's not exactly the same thing, but, you know. Paul, cake or pie guy?
3: Bill Knapp's cake. Oh, dude. Bill Knapp's chocolate cake.
1: The Bill Knapp's chocolate cake was
3: phenomenal.
0: Whatever happened to Bill Knapp's? I used to like that place.
1: Oh, their food was
3: awful, but. You went there for the cake.
1: You went there for the cake because you got free cake on your birthday and they went out of business. I believe they went bankrupt. Probably because their food was directly imported from the Sweden house.
2: Possibly. Right, right from the Sweden house. From when I was cooking
1: to Bill Knapp's. The
2: Sweden house is gone. Leftovers. They're gone. And I'm responsible.
0: We didn't have Bill Knapp's in Chicago, but when we would come up to visit my grandparents in East Lansing, we almost always had to go to Bill Knapp's.
1: Well, it's a funny thing because if you go into the Bill Knapps, they would card you. And if you were under 70 years old going into the Bill Knapps, you had to explain why are you here. You need to be accompanied by someone over 70 years old. And if you live in the West Michigan area, you know the equivalent of that is Russ's here. Go dine with the elderly Dutch that don't tip very well. I can say that because I had two daughters that waitress there and my daughter-in-law also waitressed there. And some of the uh, the Dutch people would think, and Carol's daughter um, did that before she left for Jamaica. And sometimes they, you know, someone ordered a $20 meal or something and they would uh, tip a quarter. Not good. All right. Last, last question. Last question for off the cuff. And that is when you, throughout your lifetime, have you ever had a nickname?
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: Have you ever had a nickname? I, at work, am called Baby Tisma by the co-worker, Sonia. (laughs) Any other nicknames?
2: When your last name is Cashman. Just it leaves nicknames. I mean, it draws nicknames like flies
1: to poop. (laughs) Is there any specific nickname that you would consistently hear or not?
2: Um, Cash, which is which is the name I use when I very rarely, but hopefully soon will be,
3: on the radio.
1: Oh, he outgrows us. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Paul, do you ever have a nickname? (laughs)
3: I mean, Paul, Polly, Wally, but other than that, I have a select few people that refer to me as that. But
1: and then uh, again, our former coworker Sonia calling you Pollywog. That she will still
3: that'll happen occasionally.
1: Carol, did you ever have a nickname?
0: I have had many nicknames, such as my dad used to always call me Snorky and Punky. Punky, did you like those? I didn't mind. Snorky was because I used to wrinkle up my nose when I smiled.
1: Still don't get it.
0: He called me, he called it a snorky face.
1: Still don't get it.
0: (laughs) I guess you had to be there.
1: My grandma had a nickname for me. She used to call me Pinhead. No, I'm just kidding. She wasn't a very nice lady.
0: When I was in grade school, my maiden name was Wark, W-A-R-K-E, and it was unfortunately, when the Mork and Mindy show was popular, and I got called Wark from Ork an awful lot, but I did not like that one.
1: Good to know. I'll try to refrain from calling you Wark from Ork, because I forgot to ask Carol the restaurant question, so I also... <laughs> Remember this? Punky Brewster. Punky Brewster. i never watched this show. It was. A, it, was the, it was like the 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 spunky young ten year old girls era there was a couple shows like that right
0: of course I grew up without a TV so I didn't actually watch Mork Mork and Mindy ever either but not Punky Brewster um I didn't have a TV (laughs) did you have a TV
1: (laughs) so did you also did you watch (laughs) Match I didn't have a TV. Tell us about other shows you weren't able to watch because you didn't have a TV. Was that a dog licking her face? I can. You're showing the, the preview or something. It's because I'm
2: getting the, for people listening.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. I'm getting can,
2: the audio from YouTube.
1: I gotcha. All right, well, let's go ahead and get started with the podcast proper, if you will. And so we kind of wrapped last week by talking to Paul about his story, kind of like what happened. If you haven't heard part one, you Probably want to go back and listen to that. We're going to reference a little bit to it. Paul, when he was about three and a half years old, was at a basketball game, fell through some bleachers, and sustained a very, very serious injury, and he could have died. Just kind of recap last week, he's struggled with the, the fallout of that, if you will, with seizures and different things and how that's affected him in his life. And then Paul has coped very well with that. He had surgery after high school. That really changed a lot of things for him. He and I both worked for the same financial institution, and I don't want to say the name of the place because I don't think they'd like that. But so, what's that? Unless they're sponsoring (laughs) it. I don't think that's going to happen in... Not enough money for that. Never. That'll never happen. It's a good job. So I'd done pretty well with this company, still work there. And I got to go speak at a training course, and Paul was a brand-new banker. And afterwards, he and I chatted a little bit. He had some questions for me, and we kept in touch a little bit. And then when I got promoted to a manager, I actually got to go and manage where he was. So that's how he and I met. And we got to work together for what, Paul, about
3: three years? I worked for that company three and a half years, so... I would say just shy of three, maybe?
1: Yeah, just shy of three. Then there came the day that you said that you you said you wanted to go to lunch.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And at the end of lunch, you told me that you were leaving the company and that you had a ministry opportunity and we're going to go to uh, an organization called David's House.
3: That's correct.
0: I remember you talking to me after that lunch. You were pretty concerned for him.
1: I was concerned because I know that Paul did a solid job where we both, where I still work and where we work together. But based on some of the things that Paul struggled with at that job, I didn't know that it was going to be a good fit going into this next position where he was going to, because the position he was in was sort of a sales type position, not pure sales, but that was not his wheelhouse, was it, Paul?
3: I wouldn't say I.
1: You weren't bad at it. I don't think, right. but I don't think you loved it
3: just just the way and what it was that i was selling wasn't something that i could really put my heart and soul into yeah similar to uh, how i'm able to do that now and so i mean i'll talk all day long about something i love something i'm passionate about but it's it's when i have to put that hat on
1: so you make the transition from this financial institution the people at david's house contact you and they decide that they want you to come work for them. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was kind of a tough decision for you though, wasn't it?
3: It, if you ask my wife, once I got the job offer, she's like, Paul, I was concerned. You were pale. She says you were, you were frantic, just didn't know. And of course, I mean, it was a very big unknown to step into. Um, but I think anything worth pursuing like that, uh, especially with the implications a career can have a career transition. Um, naturally would force some of those things onto a person. So I will say it It definitely helped that uh, our church all year had been studying through the book of Hebrews and taking steps in faith, maybe when you can't see uh, some of the rocks ahead of you, um, or steps per se. Uh, so I would say if, if I hadn't been studying through Hebrews with our church, I would have looked at the opportunity in... To the human eye and the human mind would say, "Nah, forget it. I'm, I'm good where I'm at." Right. And, but I, I couldn't deny just God's fingerprints all over how the opportunity came about. How I think I've been uniquely equipped for it, uh, as I'll discuss. And it, it would have been, I would say, disobedient of me to neglect this this open door that had been presented in front of me.
1: Yeah, it was a tough, and I know it was a tough decision for you because the company that we worked for is a very large company and very, very, very solid company. So you're going from this huge company to obviously have something that's very, very mm-hmm. small. There's no guarantee that this place is going to, I mean, I think it will be, but I mean, you don't certainly don't have the safety and security, what normally we would call safe and secure with a large, large company that's certainly not going to go anywhere and right. a smaller company where like, wow, if, without, if people don't donate, you're not going to make it. And so th- so what did they hire you to do, Paul?
3: So I was hired as a... My technical job title is Associate Director of Development. So uh, my primary responsibility and really only responsibility is to fuel the machine that is David's House Ministries with the funding needed to pay our staff, upkeep the buildings... To survive. To s- survive, yes. And so... In an organization like David's House, with the nature of the work we're doing, which provides care to the developmentally disabled, um, men and women, not necessarily children, but again, people who are usually 30 and up, they, they receive different types of government funding. And so when you take the overall cost of care and you deduct the state funding out of that, leaves us with a significant balance that needs to be fundraised for. And so that's where my responsibilities lie.
0: How big of an operation are we talking? Like how many staff, how many buildings?
3: So there are 37 residents. There are among four homes where uh, there are 65 staff, including I think five of us administrative staff and the rest being on the direct care end that will... Uh, provide assistance to the residents based on their need profile. So some just need the reminder that, hey, did you brush your teeth? Or, hey, let's put on a different shirt today, or so on and so forth, where some need everything from bathing, feeding, toileting, you name it. They need assistance, and everywhere in between. And so uh, majority of our residents have, like I said, a developmental disability. So things like that would be Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, Traumatic brain injuries. Uh, we have a few of those. Uh, so that's that's kind of what compromises the the substance of what you would see uh, if you came to our ministry. So, so talk to us a
1: little bit about the. and um, You've you touched on a little bit, but but talk a little bit about more about the type of resident that live because they they live there. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is their home. Sure, absolutely, yes. And and so talk to me a little bit about the philosophy of the ministry because I was typing up kind of a promo for last week's episode. I was like, I actually went to the David's House website because I didn't know, you know, do do we call this a charity? Do we call this? But I think the best word for it is a ministry. So talk a little bit about the philosophy of David's House and just a little bit about how it came to be.
3: Sure. Um, I think going into the history of how, as you said, David's House came to be, is important in determining the philosophy going forward. That being, uh, David's House was started in the mid-80s when all what's called adult foster care was very institutionalized. And so with that, uh, we had our founder and his wife with a special needs son finding themselves not able to provide the same level of care for this this special needs son that they had been. And so as this gentleman was retiring out of the pastorate, he needed a place that could continue to provide care for his son. And uh, with that, he was looking for somewhere that would be able to provide for him uh, not only physically, but socially and spiritually as well. And so David's House was founded to provide kind of that total person care uh, method to all the residents. So once our founder wasn't seeing anything that exemplified that model of care, wherever he looked, he's like, you know, well, there's probably people just like me looking for what I'm looking for. And so why don't I start a home for my son and nine others? So that's when David's house came into be was when he opened the home for uh, his son and uh, nine others who had a similar uh, need profile uh, to uh, what his son needed.
1: So there really wasn't, you know, he's looking around and I'm sure you know certainly nationally, I'm sure other places like this exist, but certainly in this area, there was just a huge need for something like this. I was listening to something uh, a podcast actually on the way in today, and the number of people who would be considered um, you know that need this type of care was around 600 million. No, I wouldn't doubt it I mean it's just that's that's just just like, wow, what a huge number of people who need some type of care like mm-hmm. that.
3: Yeah, worldwide. I mean, you're gonna see that's that's a lot of who you see in the homeless population and areas around the country are people who are developmentally disabled because they they can't sustain a job as you and I might be able to. They can't um, again provide for a family in the way that uh, you and I might be able to. And so it's that's where it's uh, unique then to have a home that serves those. Those special needs in the literal sense of these individuals uh, where they're well cared for on the holistic scope where, yeah, not only do they have barrier-free access among homes if they're in a wheelchair, but uh, they're invested into as a social being in a a community setting uh, with other people like them, and also, and dare say most importantly, ministered to in the spiritual sense that this is someone who has been created in the likeness of God and needs and deserves that care. So.
0: So how old was his son who I presumed was named David?
3: Yes. Uh, how,
0: how old was he and how old uh, what's the age range of your residence?
3: At the time David's house was founded was in his 20s, I want to say. But the way the way our ministry is formatted now, we have our youngest resident I believe is 28. our oldest just turned 70.
1: Hmm. So quite a range there. And of course, to care for someone like that with those type of challenges is extremely, you can't, some of the residents that are at David's house right now, they need, some of them actually need round the clock care. Mm -hmm. There's no way they could be left on their own. There's no way they'd be able to make it. Correct. The other last thing I want to just mention, too, about David's House, which I think is interesting and unique, because I know this is a problem, certainly at nursing homes and assisted living places for the elderly. Some of them are very, very bad places. They're very, they're not run well. They don't have the licensing. They don't really have a lot of stuff going on. Talk a little bit about the commitment to top-level care at a place like this.
3: Yeah, and that's been the – I'm glad you brought that up, because that's been the overarching theme uh, since – since day one, is just the level of quality that's being provided because, yes, we could do what we're doing at a, a much lower quality level, uh, a lot less of a staff competency, not as nice of homes, things like that. Yeah, because
1: David's house doesn't, doesn't want to cut any corners.
3: Right, and that's just it. Is Just like, I mean, would you want that for yourself? Probably not. So, no, of course not. Absolutely. Uh, why, why should these these folks with special needs should have to live any differently.
0: So you mentioned that there are four homes?
3: Four homes, correct, yes.
0: How do you divide the residents up? How do you choose who lives in which home?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, The when we admit a new resident, it's a intensive process as far as getting to know the family, getting to know the structure that this resident's coming from, that wherever this opening happens to be that we need to fill is being met and it's going to be a good fit for the resident and the other residents that are in this community already yeah. will fit well with this new That's cool. man or woman in their home.
0: So it's not based on age or Mm-mm. level of disability that, or anything like that.
3: That could have something to do with it. But again, it's it's that fit. Very um, interesting. And so, yes, uh, between the, all four of our homes, we do try to keep the need profile very similar. Mm-hmm. And so that'll have something to do with the placement. As I mentioned it's not going to work well. The fit isn't going to fit well for the existing residents or the new resident if they're high functioning and the rest of the residents sure. in the home are, you know, needing help with feeding and toileting. That makes
0: sense.
1: And with a staff too, I mean, hire different people to do different things and it's easier, I would think, mm-hmm. to have people who have a certain level of care mm-hmm. and with a staff that's equipped and able to provide that level of care that they need. Right. So why do you, and you talked a minute ago about this, about why, so when we work together, what we we're doing there is fine and it's good, but you mm-hmm. weren't passionate about it. You weren't You weren't excited about talking about some of the things they wanted you to talk about. Mm-hmm. But this thing, you're ready to boom, boom, I could let you go and you could talk for a long period of time. Why is this so important to you? I know full well that
3: the the injury I sustained as we discussed in the last podcast and briefly touched on today that if that injury had gone any differently, I could very well be one of our residents who's dependent on someone to uh, feed them, clothe them, bathe them. And, um, not that that person is any less valued in the kingdom of God, but I have been gifted with uh, a much different outcome from my uh, head injury where now I'm able to serve them, um, in the role that I've, I've been given. And Mm -hmm. so when I can take that perspective into every day at work, knowing that I'm serving someone I could have been, it, it just provides a lot more motivation and.
0: It probably also gives you a real sense of purpose and meaning to what happened to you and what you went through.
3: Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's just the way God works is he redeems your, your, your situation where you're, you're going through something and you're, you're thinking, how can any good come from this? Right. And
1: Yeah, what good could possibly come from a three and a half year old almost dying from suffering a fifteen foot fall landing on their head? And
3: suffering through fifteen years of Right. Epilepsy.
1: Yeah, just all the stuff you talked about last week and how incredibly difficult and challenging all that was mm-hmm. at that age at that time you're not thinking well someday god's going to redeem this
3: <laughs> yeah no that was no was not in my mind in
1: the least no of course not cuz the reality of the of the suffering and the reality of the pain was what's going to be foremost in your mind mm-hmm. and yet now years later somehow god's taking all that and he is redeeming it and he's using you at a ministry that's extremely needed does it ever scare you to think, wow, I could have my life because now you're married, you've got a beautiful wife, you've got a real nice job, you're able to have a real impact on society. Does it ever kind of like frighten you or like, wow, that is there any emotion attached to that? Could have been me. I could have been in one of these homes for the rest of my life.
3: Yeah, that was the the initial thought when I was, like I said, contemplating taking this role. Is I've been uniquely equipped for the work that this ministry is doing and in that I use that to my advantage and to the advantage of David's house. Sure. Uh, So I don't put myself in that spot, but I, I continue to be mindful that, that that could have been me.
1: Yeah, no, and I understand that I have a, a, I'll tell this story at another time, but my, my youngest son almost drowned Mm -hmm. when he was about three and I just think You know, if certain things, if something, if it wouldn't have played out the way it did, he wouldn't be with us today. And I just sometimes I get almost makes me anxious to think, oh my goodness, that could have gone that way. Mm -hmm. But for, you know, just how the unique way it played out, he, you know, he's fine. But um, I just wondered if you had something like that in relation to your injury where you think back on it and go, wow, that that came pretty close to really altering the course of my life.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a mindfulness that, when leap day comes around every four years, <laughs> as the anniversary of my leap, uh, that <laughs> this is wow, I'm X number of years out of my injury, yeah. and just a, a a nice reminder to think back of, like you said, how life could have been so much different, and
1: I, and you see it you see it face to face every day as a reminder, mm-hmm. like this could have been me, yeah. So these people that you're caring for are, you know, obviously extremely, they're 100% dependent on care. Uh, If they don't get the care, they're not going to make it. So why is it more important now than ever to make sure people like this are cared for?
3: Sure, and that brings up a great point because what a lot of people aren't familiar with is that as, as medicine has progressed and gotten better, so has the lifespan of someone who's developmentally disabled. Uh, where it used to be the lifespan of someone with Down syndrome might might live to forty, and now people with these developmental disabilities are outliving their parents. And not only are they living to the point where their parents don't don't have the ability to care for them anymore, right? But they're living beyond the parents' lifespan. So that puts a unique predicament in front of society. That okay, we have these these people with, with special needs that, if left to themselves, can't provide for themselves the way that you and I might be able to, and so there is a, a task put in front of us, and I believe the church, to to really pour into these, these folks and uh, continue to provide for them, again physically, spiritually, and socially.
1: Absolutely, and this is a question that I think is a challenging one to ask, and you know I I warned you that we were going to go here, Um, and I don't believe this at all because I visited. You took me on a tour a few months ago. No one would ever ask this question out loud, but I'm afraid people would think it. So we're talking about people who can't go out on their own. Some of them can't feed themselves. The ones that can um, barely can do it at all. The very cynical. Cold-hearted question for those who are very pragmatic would be, and again, I don't feel this way at all. But I can certainly understand there could be some people logically thinking, "Why would we even want to extend the lives of people like this? Mm-hmm. What, what's the point?"
3: Yeah, it can be easy to think to fall into that mindset because, in unfortunately, in Western culture, we tend to value someone by what they can contribute, mm-hmm. not not in their the value of the who value they are, of who they are as a human being created in the image of God.
1: Yeah, the very pragmatic. These people can't produce anything.
3: Right.
0: I think even in Christian circles, we're very much oriented around performance-based oh, value, mm-hmm.
1: and that'll be another podcast completely. But you're right. I I agree 100. percent So uh, the real, if people were being super honest, I know enough people in the world that there's people thinking, why would we want to extend the lives of people like mm-hmm. this? Because what are they contributing? That's the question I throw to you.
3: Mm-hmm. So again, you break it down to where where are we finding value here, and and how so, do we define value? Exactly, exactly. And so a lot of people fall into one of five stages that uh, a organization out of the Greater Chicago area, uh, Elam Christian Services, uh, put out. Uh, it's their yeah.
1: This is awesome. This is some really good stuff by Elam. Um, I'm not. I wasn't familiar with them before this. So talk to us about the five stages. And uh, so as someone who's encountering someone who has special needs, Elam does a really good job of kind of the progression, if you will, what the, the progression normally goes through. Uh, talk to us about that.
3: Yeah. So the first stage is is one of ignorance. Uh, so someone sees in this stage, uh, sees someone with a disability and says, you know, this person has a weakness. They have a disability. It's either a sign that God doesn't care.
1: Well, back in the day, I can tell you that in the biblical times, uh, in you know, New Testament specifically and Old Testament, if you had a disability or if you had a special need, that was the judgment and punishment of God, either for what they did or what their parents did. Right. And let's be
3: honest, we haven't veered very far from that. That's true, and definitely a lot of circles. So stage one has someone in an ignorant phase. And so in this point, Someone is, if if we're going to be honest, has a a sense of intimidation by by someone with special needs. They don't know how to interact. They sure. It's just better off leaving to someone else to worry about and care for because, hey, this person might be a result of someone's sin. They might have sin in their lives or lack of faith, things like that. Where I I don't need to associate myself with that. Yeah. Would say this person in the step one or stage one ignorant phase.
1: Well, that's very common in our culture is we like to push things that make us uncomfortable, the elderly, the disabled, the sick. We put them in places where we don't have to run into them and see with them and deal with them. Mm-hmm.
0: Obviously the ignorance phase means they're, they have never personally interacted with somebody with this.
3: And that's exactly it. I mean, again, at no fault of their own, they've just not grown up with that. And so you do see that spectrum of how people interact with someone with special needs Okay, do they have a brother, cousin, what have you, uh, with, with that type of disability?
1: Ignorance is, a, is an absence of information. It's an mm-hmm. absence of knowledge.
3: That's just it. So what's stage two? Stage two, uh, that person moves from that ignorant phase to a phase of pity. They feel, they feel just sorry for this person. Uh, they, again, because it's, oh, they don't have something to contribute. They, they must not be enjoying life. Uh, they, they must be miserable in the current state they're in. Uh, mentally and cognitively and things like that. And so uh, that person will will tend to just see that that disability still is a weakness in, in a sh- shortcoming, really.
1: Right, right. So, and then what's stage three?
3: Stage three moves into care. At this point in time, this person has acknowledged that, yes, this person is, is in need of greater assistance than myself, and this this person needs to have someone that can provide for where they can't not provide for themselves and so
1: and this is where they start to see the person who's encountering a person with special needs this is the stage where they start to see actual value in the person mm-hmm. correct
3: right right because a lot of times say at a church you know let's let's develop a special needs department let's let's do something like that where they right. they're, they're going to be catered to at their level and things like that which is great uh, so it's it's, a, it's it's such an important step and that acknowledgement and realization of what can actually be done.
1: So would you say the biggest jump between steps is
3: this is the jump between step 2 and 3 then? I would say that's it's it's probably the most uh, the, the furthest step that it seems like a turning point. Mhm. Yeah. Uh
1: and so what's step 4?
3: Step 4 moves into friendship uh, where this person is is now seen as someone who is valued. Uh, whereas the ignorant phase just put them aside. Uh, friendship, you know, this person's valued, they have something about them that draws me or any of us to this person is uh, having something that's that's worth getting to know, mm-hmm. that they have a quality about them or a specific part of their personality or maybe even they do have something to contribute, not that that's of a specific worth right. in itself. So. Uh, that's that's what you're going to see where you move into that friendship, and so um,
1: I love step five because step five is as we were going over this before we started the podcast. I hadn't even really considered step five that much myself, and I don't. And I think the interesting thing is, we go through these stages. We all have to. I think it's a healthy thing to kind of identify, self-identify where we are in this progress. So, step five is really cool. What is step five?
3: Step five is obviously the uh, fifth and last step uh, in stage. And so it's it's what's called seeing them as co-laborers, that they, in the kingdom of God, that they have something to indeed contribute. And uh, in this step, uh, we can all encourage and equip each other uh, with or without disabilities uh, into every good work that we can respond uh, to God's call in our lives.
1: So when you got to David's house, Mm-hmm where were you on the spectrum of these stages or steps
3: yeah to be honest it was it was very much a a pity it was oh, these these people can't live the life that i can and and you feel sorry for them you feel just a, you feel a remorse for them yeah you know i'm i'm sorry and and to some of the parents you know i'm sorry that that you've had to pour so much of your life into your son or daughter who you didn't anticipate ever having to raise this way.
1: Right, because nobody plans for this, Mm -mm, of course, and nobody wishes for this. Mm -hmm. So what stage would
3: you say that you, where you are now? Yeah, I would say it's, it's somewhere right between friendship and co-laborers. I mean, these, these people uh, that live at David's house will come into my office because I work right in one of the homes and, and they'll come into my office and just chat my ear off and, and I love it. Um, yeah. Sometimes I do have to lock my door so I can get some work <laughs> <Sure>. done, but <laughs> sure. um, no. Uh, they're That I've gotten to know their heart and know just these these qualities about them that are so uh, admirable. That, again, some of those qualities are the, the nature of who they are, that they have a, a faith that's so pure and unadulterated. Just their ability to trust in God's Word for what it is and not not to...
0: Over, Overthink
3: it, overcomplicate, and overcomplicate it right. Yeah. And so, what
0: would you say is the essential ingredient for moving from one stage to the next? What is necessary?
3: That's a great question.
1: Which means he has to think about it for a second.
3: I think it's. I think it's as you brought up before. It's exposure. Uh, it's. Mm-hmm. It's just getting to know them, and it can be personal interaction. Exactly. It can be a tough step where, yeah, it's going to feel uncomfortable maybe for a little bit, uh, but. You take that leap into getting to know this person. Sit down with them, um, get to know their family, their their upbringing.
1: So, how long did it take you to get from the pity stage to the stage where you are now?
3: It was actually very quick. Uh, it because you're immersed in it. Immersed in it every single day, and so you, you quickly find out that these people they're funny. They're mm-hmm. they're they're fun to be around. Um, they they have a lot of experiences that they can contribute uh, to a conversation or what have you. And so it's it's just it's been fun getting to know them like you'd get to know any other friend of yours. And sure. So,
1: so what are some of the key things that you've learned? So you've, you've mentioned a few things, and what are some of the things you've really appreciated as you've been there and as have you, you your view of, of people like this mm-hmm. has uh, changed, has evolved, has grown? Yeah. Um, what are some of the key lessons you take from them that cuz when I took the tour you, you kind of explained some of the things mm-hmm. that just really touched my heart which I'll talk about in a minute but yeah. like what are some of the things that have touched your heart
3: Yeah it's been as and I as I just brought up where it's a lot of our residents just have this this faith like a child uh, as we hear about if where Jesus says if you don't come to me as a child wanting to we need
1: to come to Jesus with the faith of a child. He has a great amount of honor and respect for that.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: We need to put aside, and they're able to do that. Exactly. And you see that every day.
3: Mm-hmm. It, and it's it's so encouraging that I need to incorporate so much more of that into my own personal walk.
1: Like, how does that play out with them? How does it play out that faith of a child? How do you are you how are you able to view that?
3: Right. Well, i their throw on a story. So uh, one of our residents in, in the home where most of our higher-functioning uh, individuals will live, um, he got up in front of Calvary Church, a church with uh, attendance of four thousand some weekly, and he, he got up to share just a little bit. And I knew he was going to be sharing. That's that's where I attend church, and so I asked him Friday before I left for the weekend. So hey, how's it? How do you feel? Are you nervous? And he's like, Yeah, Paul, I'm really nervous, yeah, but I'm excited. He says, and so of course I'm in the service on Sunday and see him. He did great. Uh, and then Monday, I asked him, so, "So, how'd it go? How'd it go? Did you have fun with it?" And he's like, "Oh, Paul," he says, "He says I was I was uh, nervous as a leaf." I think is what he said. <laughs> and so, but he says he says to me, he says, "You know, I wasn't doing it for for all the people out there." And as he kind of did his little pointing uh, action, and he says, as he points upward, he says, "I was doing it for Jesus." And it's like yeah. that—that's what it's all about. The, amen, brother. And so, yeah, just just their their pure sometimes non complex over analyzed view of <laughs> how they're to live out their faith is just admirable it's and and I've learned a lot from that to like I said incorporate into my own faith journey
1: I've been listening to I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of preaching and one of the things that a common theme I keep hitting is just the That's ability great. to be Fully present in the moment. Yeah. And so talk to us a little bit about the
3: enjoyment mm-hmm.
1: um, that you see in some of these residents, the depth of enjoyment.
3: Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's when you interact with them. And again, you, you become, you build this friendship with them. You get to know about their day, what they got to do, uh, things that they like, things that they don't. And one of our residents just gets the biggest kick out of his weekly trips to McDonald's. Gets the same thing every time. But he cannot wait to get back to tell you about it. <laughs> Paul, I got Diet Coke, cheeseburger fries, and a hot fudge Sunday.
1: Every time. Every single time. Every time.
3: And, and he's so thrilled. And he he is beyond thrilled. And anytime I have a Diet Coke, which I tend to drink a lot of um, <laughs> while I'm at work. Sure. He'll he'll see the Diet Coke and he'll give me a round of applause that I have a Diet Coke. <laughs> he loves Diet Coke. <laughs> oh, and so <laughs> Um, Yay, Diet Coke, he'll say. And
1: And he's not being facetious. He's not being funny. He
3: loves Diet Coke.
1: Wow.
0: I remember my kids being like that when they were little. Mm -hmm. Just this sense of a joy in repetition. And we could read the same book
3: Mm -hmm. five times in a row. Dumb book.
0: Exactly the same words. I knew them by heart. Yeah. And they still just loved him. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like they have this sense of an enjoyment of eternity that we don't have. Like Mm. that...
3: That's awesome. That yeah.
0: repetition was almost like an insight into a timelessness that I couldn't right. I couldn't grasp.
1: And mm-hmm. a comfort was it was the book yeah. Hamster Huey and the Gooey Kablooey? It wasn't. That, sorry that's a Calvin and Hobbes reference for all of you <laughs> fans out there. But I, I Paul I just think that's amazing. I think that's awesome. Um what else did you want to say there about that?
3: When I when I funny story again, I bring diet coke i throw in the fridge that i'll drink later in the day go ahead and (laughs) practicing this resident will go to the fridge get me my own diet coke and give it to me and he says for you for you and (laughs) like he got it for me and he's he's all proud of himself and it's just it's hilarious and so um but just seeing his for him what is selfless giving me something and it's just it's really cute it's it's really funny and i think it just as you said opens up a door or a window into their heart in their, the the simple pleasures in life that they just can get so much out of so over it, and over and over again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is there a chief, is there a main thing that you could say that's been a takeaway that you've learned from being with people that have special needs and trying to call people because you're raising money mm-hmm. for the ministry to continue? Is What's one of the chief takeaways you've learned from just being in community and co-laborers with people like mm-hmm. this?
3: It's it's over and over again, day after day. It's it's that pure joy, that pure excitement, that pure and unadulterated faith in Jesus as their savior. Uh, I've been to a couple different uh, worship nights with them, and wow, the way that they can experience singing a song and worshiping and um, that kind of thing—it's it'll be enough to bring you to tears. It's that that I can just continue to over and over find. Just that I'm, it's, it's growing me uh,
1: in that. That purity is just amazing to me and it's very, very touching.
0: When I was a kid and I grew up in the Chicago area, so I went to a Christian school Mm -hmm. in the Chicago area that was associated with Elam. Yeah. At least once a year, they used to come and they would, the kids would come and sing for us. Mm. They would put on a mini concert in our, in a school assembly. Mm. And, I can remember being almost envious of how much fun they were having. That's just it, and how yeah. much they would smile. Mm-hmm. It, I didn't understand it, but love and life, I just, <laughs> yeah. It was, it it was almost, um, it was a real learning experience. But it was, I was almost envious of them that mm-hmm. they could enjoy life so much.
1: Yeah. So let me ask you a question, Paul. How long have you worked at
3: David's house now? Uh, just over a year by now.
1: So in that year. Do you think you have had a greater impact on the residents, or have the residents have a greater impact on
3: you? It's it's a neck and neck race all the time. I mean, it's <laughs> I've learned so much from them, and and I hope I've been able to provide for their well being. And uh, as a result of the nature of my work, bringing in funds.
1: Were you surprised by that? How much they've impacted you? Oh yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, it's it was something that you hear, you know. Oh, they bless me more than I bless them, and I didn't expect yeah. that. And that can be cliche, but it's a reason it's a cliche. Yeah, because it it's happens. real. It, it's real. Well, I think so.
1: the interesting thing is that, too, is that um, it's so sad because in the biblical worldview that we used to look at, uh, and we look in the Bible and people were were had special needs mm-hmm. and disabilities, and people thought, hey, this is because someone sinned. Mm-hmm. And they were uncomfortable with him in that day, and they tried to push him out of society, yeah. push him to a certain area. I'll be with other people like your own kind and I don't want to deal with you. And none of that has changed, right? I mean, I, I don't think our viewpoint has changed that much. And how tragic do you mm-hmm. think that is?
3: it's It's unfortunate because the way that I've gotten to know a lot of these people that live at David's house and who will worship uh, among their their special needs worship time, I mean these people who who segregate these people away are missing out on so much. And it's it's too bad because uh, it uh, Carol as you said you, you became envious of the the type of joy that they can exhibit and who wouldn't want that for themselves and so it's just yeah. just been a, a huge blessing to experience that
0: so if that's the case why do we tend to marginalize people with disabilities why do we keep them separate from the rest of the population
3: just like we would any other segment of a population they're different yeah they're
1: and that makes difference mm -hmm. different makes us uncomfortable
3: yeah yeah and so you just you tend to stick stick with what you are comfortable with what you're familiar with and you run with that crowd and sure you know uh get to know those people but i think educate yourself uh expose yourself to to people of who are different to you because we all have something to learn. They have something to learn from us, and we definitely have something to learn from them. Absolutely. As I've very well found out in my role. And so uh, it's just been a huge blessing to to work side-by-side side with many of these individuals who have special needs.
0: So do you welcome visitors to David's house?
3: All the time. Uh, that's that's my one of my greatest pleasures is to just walk people through our, our homes. Um, our residents love meeting new faces because uh, a lot of times they see a lot of the same staff. Uh, every day and uh, their parents and family and things like that will come visit but um, when we can have new faces that they can meet and get to know uh, that's that's a huge huge big part of their day is when that can happen
0: Cool. so this is a question out of my own process of Mm -hmm. learning and and growing um do you find that this working with with the residents at david's house has helped you outside of the home with people in the general population that have other disabilities. Maybe, maybe that wasn't a problem for you, but I find for me it's easier to interact with people with severe disabilities than it is to interact with say the student who's somewhat annoying and perpetually asks yeah, questions out of context and, or with, you know, people with disabilities that inconvenience me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's easier for me to interact with people that are disabled in a home like that right. than with people in my world yeah, that absolutely. are troublesome. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> it
3: definitely accelerates your ability to have uh, patience and mm-hmm. understanding, okay, you know, thinking in the back of your head, what may, what might be going on? Uh, is there is there something that's contributing to maybe this person's inability to pay attention or to right whatever the case might be? Um, it it makes you think a little bit deeper. Okay, there's there's something going on. And if I can show patience and grace for that, Mm -hmm. that this person needs, we're both all the better because of it. That's
0: interesting because my own experience with depression that we've talked about before on the podcast has made me more sensitive to students with emotional struggles Mm -hmm. and those kinds of issues. So... Mm -hmm maybe I need to come over to David's house and spend some time.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, our, like I said, our residents love they playing board games with people uh-huh. or if you bring them dinner, they'll love you. So um, <laughs> much like you and I, you yeah. bring me dinner, I'll love you. This song
1: is good and not from the Sweden house. Um, sorry. So could you talk a little, Chad, don't be upset, it's all right. Dude, I cooked there. I know you cooked there, but Paul, talk to us a little bit about the staff, because I took a visit there a couple months ago, as I mentioned, and I was really impressed with the staff and the type of person that it can even do
3: what they do. Sure. And as I mentioned, uh, each home will kind of have a different culture and feel to it in the sense that the type of needs that of the residents that live in that home will be different home to home. And so uh, where some residents just need a friend, someone to uplift them if they're having a bad day or Maybe speak some truth under their life or what have you. Um, other residents need, as you mentioned, the the level of care where they need to be bathed, fed, toileted. I mean, that's there's a lot that needs to happen for someone to have I think the the humility and the, the tenderheartedness oh, yeah. to shave one of our residents in help them in the
1: bathroom. Exactly. I mean, wow. <clears throat> I mean that is the type of person that can go and care for someone who has extreme needs mm-hmm. and they're not able to take care of the basic right. everyday functions, like they literally can't feed themselves. They right. l- they cannot bathe. They mm-hmm. cannot use the bathroom. I mean, that is stunning to me to to have the heart because they're not doing it for the money, are they? No. So what's the personality like of someone like your, your normal staff member? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, as I mentioned, I mean, I can't the say ones enough. The
1: that work. <laughs> The ones that work out
3: right. I can't say enough about our staff. I mean, we're like I said, they're the most kind, tender-hearted, um, humorous. I mean, you got to be humorous about it sometime, <laughs> and so uh, they just they they have it all. Uh, that they have the ability to be stern when they need to be stern with some of the residents because uh, that needs to happen sometimes. And but they they have the ability, I think, overall, just to be their friend. That's huge. And uh, it may be unique to David's house is that. When we're hiring for a direct care staff physician, one of the questions we're always asking every applicant is, if a resident comes to you, they're having a bad day, and they say, will you pray for me or with me? If you if you can't answer yes to that question, this isn't the job for you. Right. And so that's I think that's a huge part of the DNA that makes up why our staff is so committed to what they're doing, good at what they're doing, and just can... Provide that level of total person care uh, on the mind-body-spirit level to our residents.
1: Well, to wrap our podcast here, I did visit David's house a couple months ago, and the first house I went in where Paul's office was was uh, one of the, the homes that doesn't need, the people don't need quite as much care. And there was a young lady there that I met, and after meeting her, and they're very excited to meet someone new. Mm-hmm. They're very friendly. There was, there was two people eating lunch at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm always touched by people who have weakness they can't hide. Mm and who live a life so unlike mine. And, you know, it, it definitely brings to mind how fortunate we are to be able to get, to get up and walk around the room and eat what we want and earn money and drive around and, yeah. and do all these things that we find enjoyable. And it brought tears to my eyes and I was fighting back tears as I, as after we left meeting them because she was just so genuine and, and pure and mm-hmm. childlike in that vulnerability that she couldn't hide, mm-hmm. that it just touched my heart. Um, and I want someone like that to be able to continue to live yeah. uh, as, as comfortable and as good of a life as he and she could possibly can. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it did feel a little awkward when they're trying to talk to me. I don't understand what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And, and and they can tell I don't understand. And I, I, although I felt a little bit uncomfortable, I thought, this is such a valid ministry that you're doing. And I was just like, this is so important. Mm-hmm. So as your key... What you're trying to do is raise money. Mm-hmm. This is your chance to plug David's house. If they want to give money, mm-hmm. if they want to visit, mm-hmm. what's how, what's the contact info?
3: Yeah, I mean, we're we're going through a website revamp now, so um stay tuned. Uh, we have a live active website now, davidshouseministries.org. I said that'll be uh, changing, I believe the web address will be the same, uh, but it'll look very different, uh, hopefully midsummer. We update our Facebook page several times a week, if not every day, uh, with some pictures of our residents, activities we do with them, maybe one of our staff praying with them, Uh, we'll put prayer requests up there, uh, things like that. And so I would say our Facebook page is the biggest way that you can just stay up to date and familiarize yourself with uh, just the work that's being done and some of our residents. And in a lot of the ways that we've described our residents today here on on the show, you'll see the... The level of joy, the expression on their face through the right. pictures we post, or right. what have you, and so, you now really touching some of the pictures that get put up, and so that's probably the best way. Um, and then, in the sense of uh, giving, uh, we have a, a large, a large sum of our budget needs to be fundraised for because right. the quality and the level of care that we feel called to provide isn't taken care of by the money that we get from the state of Michigan and and insurance the various counties and insurance uh, there there's a shortfall that we need uh, to fundraise for still and so that's that's important where we're uh, introducing what we're doing to various churches businesses charitable foundations and individuals and uh, we just we're asking people to pray how you might be able to get involved with uh, the work that's happening uh, because it takes it takes the the marriage uh, if I can use that you may uh, that analogy the marriage of the right two kind of people. So you have David's house that has the tangible resources. You have someone who has the financial resources. Uh, keep in mind these two both have a, a heart for people with special needs. Right. Again, when you marry those two, people with money can't do it without the people with the tangible assets and vice versa. Right. And so when you, when you form a relationship between those two, It's where it works out the best, and so that's where we ask people.
1: So how do they contact you, Paul? Should they do it through the Facebook page?
3: The Facebook page is a great way. Um,
1: Is there a number they can call if they want to call you?
3: uh, My number, that you can reach out to me. I would be happy to take you on a tour of our facility.
1: And I encourage you to take a tour. It's really cool. Mm -hmm.
3: And my number, 616-437-3209.
1: Say that one more time.
3: 616-437-3209.
1: So, Paul, I appreciate you being on the show today.
3: Yeah, it's been a pleasure of mine. Thank you.
1: Um, I'm super thrilled to have you on here. I think this is a super important podcast that we've done the last couple of weeks. So it's just really huge to be involved with things like this, to be exposed to things that you may not feel comfortable with. But we need these people are precious And they need. not everyone is called to be involved and interact. Mm -hmm. This may not be the ministry you're called to do, and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But I think we've got to get out of that ignorance and pity stage, which is so easy and so comfortable to be in. Mm -hmm. We can't do that. We can't stay there. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. So you've been listening to An Open Letter uh, with my good friend Paul Wiersma, my lovely girlfriend Carol Wilson, and our producer extraordinaire Chad Cashman. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, we do have a Facebook page. Again, just like David's House, that's going to be the best way to get a hold of us. We're going to hope to have some pictures online of David's House and some links to David's House on our webpage as well. And we're hoping uh, that David's House is going to be able to have this podcast, the last couple of shows, on their website. As uh, we, we just think it's a super, super important ministry to to support. So again, if you want to get a hold of us, it's an open letter on Facebook, or you can email us at anopenlettertoyou at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.